listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? What's happening? What are you working on these days? You guys got some cool new projects in the works? Are you guys uh, inspired by something that you've seen on television? Are you guys uh, reading some new comics? Let me know. Send me some of your work. Send me uh, some of the stuff that you guys are working on. Uh, you can do that through uh, my Instagram, either at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or you can do that through the show's Instagram, which is in love with the process, P-O-D. Um, I'd like to see what's up. Uh, I feel like I'm always giving to you guys on the show. You guys should be giving back. Show me some shit. Inspire me, dudes. And gals. Inspire. Inspire. Um, but uh, today's episode's a good one. I have promised since the beginning that I was going to uh, have people from all sorts of different industries on the show. Um, we've had filmmakers, we've had photographers, we've had musicians um, and composers, but we haven't had someone on the show from the industry that we do today. I'm very excited uh, we were able to pull it together. Um, and it's an industry that is relevant to all of this stuff. It's a storytelling industry, it's an industry that has grown massively uh, over the past five years, ten years. Um, and uh, the budgets for this stuff are massive. Uh, and there's so much work out there for concept artists, visual artists, 3D artists. Um, so it's a really cool thing. But first, let me ask you guys this. How many of you guys and girls out there play video games? Are you guys gaming nerds? Um, I know that uh, I used to love playing video games. I played them a lot when I was younger. And um, I'm going to show my age here. Uh, when PlayStation 1 came out, it blew my mind. Uh, and being able to get lost in a uh, cinematic universe uh, in games was so cool. Like playing uh, Resident Evil 2, playing uh, Final Fantasy 7. Uh, I just loved the scale, the scope, the characters, the score. Uh, the design, the worlds, um, it was just so amazing. It's so easy to get lost in, into because it, it, it sort of took everything that I loved about comic books and everything I loved about film and actually gave me control over the character and control over, uh, or seemingly control over what happened with the story. Um, but this, this sort of hit me right around the same time that I decided that I was going to be a filmmaker and that I was going to get into the business and uh, luckily, I made an adult decision uh, saying that, you know, video games take up so much of my time. There's no way I can do both. So I, I ended up walking away. But I would passively watch everything that's been happening over the years, whether I had roommates that were pumped about Grand Theft Auto and we'd all sit around drinking beers and watch someone play Grand Theft Auto. Um, the rise in the perfection of the first person shooter games and, and Halo and all that stuff was so cool and interesting and as a storyteller I was always completely fascinated with how abstract and how unrelatable these worlds could be uh, which seems to be the complete opposite of what is needed for film you know because anytime you're creating a story in film it's always characters need to be relatable the environments need to be relatable we need to have people sit there and completely understand what's going on story structure and everything else and the cool thing about video games is that it just seemed to be a lot more experimental um, and a lot more uh, impressionistic, which I thought was fucking really cool. 
And recently, within the past two years, I uh, decided I got a, had a little spare time, and I'm like, maybe I'll get back into video gaming and I'll, I'll look at this stuff. Um, and I got really deep into a lot of indie games um, because the themes in these indie games and the stories with these indie games were so cool. It's so beautiful, and the artwork was so beautiful, and sort of like integrating uh, 2D illustration and animation with 3D animation. It's just phenomenal. It's fantastic. Um, and if I wasn't doing the filmmaking thing, and if I wasn't in the movie thing, and you know, honestly, I may actually always keep your options open because um, I would love to do some stuff in the gaming world too. I just love, as a visual artist, I love the, the, the world and the creativity uh, that seems to exist. Um, but I don't know much about it. I don't know much about the industry. I don't know much about the inner workings of the industry. And I thought that it would be important to get a guest on the show that did. Um, just so I can learn a little bit more about it. Um, and so uh, you guys can learn a little bit more about it. And I hope now, because I'm going to push this thing out, uh, I hope I'm getting a lot of young animators, a lot of young um, students and, and, and folks that want to get into the video game industry. Uh, because this is a great episode for it. Today's guest is Hunter Schultz uh, from Mass Rust Studios. Uh, he has been a uh, concept artist, uh, a designer for video games for over 15 years. Uh, and he's worked for a lot of the big places, the big studios. Um, and uh, he also recently has decided to sort of break away and team up with his partner and form their own company. So now he's freelance. Uh, so you get like this really interesting perspective of what it's like working for these big studios and uh, the sort of systems in place and the process as an artist of getting your character designs approved um, and getting in to uh, sort of growing out of that, I think, creatively. And for him deciding that uh, he really wanted to focus on uh, intellectual IPs and sort of uh, hone his craft uh, in the freelance world, which he's been very successful at too. Um, so if you are looking to uh, learn a bit more about the video game industry, it's a great episode for you. Um, if you're uh, someone, regardless of the industry that you're in, that is trying to break away from that nine to five steady paycheck and get into the world of freelance and deal with the fears of that, this is also a great episode for you. So here's the deal. You know the deal, guys. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, find a quiet place to sit, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Hunter. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And... I uh, found you, I think I found you through Instagram and I was uh, really into uh, the concept work and stuff that you were posting on your account. So I'm really excited to sort of dig into exactly what you guys work on and everything. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start out by just giving the listeners a bit of history. Um, uh, what do you work on? Who do you work for? What do you do? Tell us all about it. Okay. Yeah. So I can go back a little bit. I started uh, a long, I guess a long time ago. It's, it's funny how it creeps up on you. It's been about 15 years. Uh -huh. Started in 2000, 2004. I got my first job in games. I did, uh, uh, worked for big, huge games and did concept work as well as texture art and 3d. 
uh, kind of did everything a generalist uh, back in the day. That's kind of how it went. Uh, and then that's actually just I'm going to compress this story because maybe we'll get back into the history. But sure. I uh, worked at several diff- different companies, uh, lived in a bunch of different places, kind of used the uh, the games industry as a way to, you know, like further my my skills by meeting new people and learning from them and also seeing different parts of the world. So uh, I think I knew that the, um, you know, at the age I was, it was it was uh, the right time to take advantage of the opportunities to kind of keep moving. And a long story short, at this point, I ended up where uh, the studio life just because it kind of wasn't for me. And I had a good buddy of mine who's super talented. We kind of have same ideas of what we wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, the freelance thing seemed more appropriate starting in our own studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just it made the most sense and timing felt right. And so ended up uh, co-founding the studio, Master of Studios, with my buddy Milan Nikolic, who's a, a conceptual badass. And um, I don't know if you got a chance to look at his work, but he's oh yeah, it's really it's really awesome, dude. I, I was uh, cruising through your stuff last night. Really cool, man. So yeah, yeah, he's got he's got a really unique voice, and then I think we we make a good team because he's got this really um, kind of loud, unique uh, take on things, and then. I've had the experience of being in-house where he hasn't, and I've worked on – I've kind of been doing a lot of more um, variety and stuff. Like I've kind of been the generalist in ways, doing environment, character, uh, just kind of across the board. And he is sort of like – he gets hired for his style because it's so uh, it's so unique and cool. So uh, we kind of – at least that we think we cover like the wide range of what people would want out of a studio – and so that's where I'm at now. Um, we brought in uh, a couple other guys, and um, hopefully, it's just going to keep growing and getting more uh, more contacts, more work uh, as the studio grows. Badass man! So you started out working for uh, larger in-house studios, right? Is, is is that what you were saying? Yeah. So yeah, that was you know sort of my dream. Like it was just if I could get a job drawing and creating. Um, work for for anything it didn't have to be games it just so happens that games is the most kind of uh the larger amount of opportunities rests in games mm-hmm. at least from where i'm from and uh yeah i mean i was so happy just to be making like 3k a year when i started off and or 30k a year and like that was oh my god like i'll, I'll keep that 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 uh, pay point for the rest of my life as long as I keep doing that. Obviously, you get older, and uh, you know, and you and you kind of change what you you expect out of life. But um, worked at a few different bigger studios, and um, they're all the same in some ways, and and all very different in other ways. So I got to see that. Awesome, awesome. All right, we'll get further into that, but I want to sort of dig deep into the. The uh, so the origins of concept work for you, like how did you get into the game stuff? Were you uh, an art student? Were you uh, like a gaming kid? Like how like how did it start for you? How did you decide that this was the path that you wanted to take? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of. I think probably a lot of the artists you talk to, or professional artists, whatever you want to call us, um, we uh, we have kind of the same. Some of us have this. It seems like most of us have the same story. Like the weird kid who's always. Uh, drawing in class and not really paying attention to their <laughs> geometry studies. And I was definitely the same. And I, I didn't know why I was supposed to be learning science and math. And at the age of you know 15, like I'm trying to figure out what the hell it means to be a human and like just sort of an emotional, like it was so overwhelming 
uh, life. And no one was teaching me anything about how to live. It was all about these things that, oddly enough, I'm really interested in now, like science and geography and history and stuff. So um, instead of actually listening, I, I sort of cheated my way through high school. Um, not like hardcore cheats where it was uh, just like – I did enough work to get by, and if I didn't have enough, then I would just just do a little bit, just to, so I wouldn't fail out. And then the rest of the time, I was sort of just drawing on my my folders. And uh, so, something I always wanted to do. My art teacher um, was really influential. She believed in me, and uh, the main thing that got me into art was um, the first thing was Salvador Dali. Oddly enough, because he, I'm from Tampa, Florida, and there's a really big Salvador Dali museum, and oh, seeing cool. his work. Yeah, man, and I don't know if you've seen his work in person. There, it's huge. No, so, I've, like, I've only seen it. Tall. I've only seen it online and in books. That's amazing, man. And that's where in Tampa. It's in. Uh, it's actually in St. Pete, but St. Pete, Florida is. Um, those two cities are are kind of one and the same, huh. so they're about an hour apart. Weird. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it was really cool seeing that. Really surreal, and the whole fantastical side of that was what um, intrigued me. The mystery and never really got into uh, exact uh, representations of reality. I mean, I appreciate the hell out of these guys that can do it. Um, but the weirder stuff kind of grabbed my attention. And then I don't know if you know the artist Brahm. Yeah, I do. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I found his book on the bookshelf and uh, that like changed my world. I, I must have stared at each page of both of his uh, early books. Just, I mean, nonstop. And, um, I ended up jumping around. So I went to three different schools after high school. Um, I mean, I just kept moving. Like I went to Jacksonville University actually to play football. I got like a football and art scholarship or grants as well. So cool. that was a really – it was really strange, man, because I, uh, I grew up playing football, but I also had the art thing. And those kind of two uh, – those are two very different things. And people assume if you're one thing, you're not the other. And – uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can go into some stories about that, but the, the football team was, uh, very different than the art crowd. And eventually, <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of were making fun of the art kids and I like, didn't tell them that I was there for art as well. And, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, that was, that was a long time ago. So there was those stereotypes in place. Yeah. Eventually I quit that and was just like, you know, I'm not, I'm like six feet somewhat fast if I try. I'm not going to the NFL. I'm going to like end up ruining my brain. So stop that and focus on what actually is going to work. And so that's what I did. Um, man, the story is actually really long. I jumped around a lot and eventually went to art school and I actually failed out of that because it was structured and I was still trying to find, find out who the hell I was, like the whole life thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, it, yeah, it was, it was pretty dark time to be honest. And, uh, I just, I quit out of art school. It was expensive and I didn't like people telling me what to do in hindsight. I wish I would have listened, but like I knew I kind of wanted to get into games. I knew that was sort of the benchmark and I had classes that were teaching me to work with others, making balloons that looked like, uh, some sort of abstract, uh, sculpture. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, like I'm paying X amount or not me, but my mom, my poor mom is paying X amount for me to be here and I'm making balloons with, with people. And uh, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back and left and then just started studying on my own with the Starbucks or like, not Starbucks, Barnes and Noble, went to the 
just kind of checked out those books and sat there and, and drew. And uh, I think a year and a half later, I got a job. So actually ended up working out. Dude, you and I have very similar paths, man. Like I, I completely sympathize with you in my high school days. Like I hated going to class. Uh, luckily, I took an art class and, and that sort of saved me. And then I would take art classes separately. I went to like a museum school and learned that stuff with adults, which was crazy. Actually taking a class as a kid with adults sort of changed my perception of learning. Um, and it didn't have to fall into the stereotypes that were around high school, didn't have to fall into all that stuff. It actually being surrounded by uh, curious humans as opposed to curious kids, it was it was a fascinating way to learn for me. And uh, it was the same thing for me, man. I went to, to college for a brief period of time and I wanted to make films and I had to go through this. You had to take bullshit accredited courses and everything else. And you're just like, what the fuck am I paying for? Uh, yeah. And I got out and went went to work, man. So it, I talk about that on the show a lot. There is a lot of different ways into these industries. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be following a formula that someone that's going to make some cash on is telling you about. So no, hell no, hell no. I mean, so are you super intimidated being uh, being in that situation with all those adults around you? Uh, it was wild, man. Like I, for me, it was interesting because my dad, who uh, works in finance, is also an artist part time, and he wanted to get closer and connect with me. So we both took an art class together on like Wednesday nights, which was so crazy. And we ended up going to this museum school. Uh, so it was a good way for me to connect with my dad and hang out with my dad. But then I was the youngest in this class. Um, and they were all looking at me as peers. And so when you're dealing, mm. when you're dealing with adults and you're sort of drawing on the same level as adults, as a kid, you start to realize, whoa, okay, this is, this, this is what life is kind of like. This is what life can be like. And I started to see art as an apprenticeship business more than I saw it as like a training and, you know, math or science or, you know, trained to be a doctor and shit. And, you know, I think pretty early on, whenever, you know, I went to those like college fairs, you know, where they'd show up to the school, I, I got their number pretty early on where it's like, you guys need us. You're essentially <laughs> looking to to uh, to pay your bills. And uh, all these courses that I have to take are accreditations for your school so that you could have a license for that shit. So fuck you. And that was. <laughs> That, I mean, I, I the rebellious mode that you had, I have pretty much had the same thing, brother. <laughs> That's good, man. I mean, like, it, it probably made our lives harder than it should be. Like, yes. I think maybe you would go back and do things differently. I, I probably would now not being as, like, uh, stubborn. But um, I, I guess I'm like, a little bit happy I wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to get the right grades, going to do everything. Um, you know, that, that kind of path that's already been plowed uh, for you, if, if you just stick to it um, – I don't know. I feel like you got to try stuff out uh, for yourself and then hopefully not get in too much trouble where you can, you know, redeem yourself in the end. But uh, that's cool, man. That's good. You didn't like um, buckle under that pressure either, because, I mean, having to rise the occasion with all the, those older people, I don't know if I could have done that. Like older people when I was younger were, were terrifying to me. So well, uh, dude, kudos to you, man. Uh, I mean, I was fortunate, man. I had good support system. You know, I had a, like like my dad and, you know, being in that place. I was very much supported, so I can't take all the I can't take all the credit for it. But uh, it was a cool experience, and so let's talk a bit about uh, like looking at those books and and that art. One thing I love about concept art, and I deal with it on a film level because we're constantly trying to come up with our ideas for creatures and environments, and it's better for me to to start to see these things ahead of time, 
start to see this world so I can better communicate it to the crew and the cast and start to design this shit. Um, but I grew up a comic book nerd. Um, I grew up a illustrator nerd. And the one thing that I've always been in awe of with a great piece, whether it's a good painting or whether it's a great sketch, is that it doesn't physically move. It's like this captured moment. But if done correctly, your eyes sort of wander through this space and your brain starts to fill in the blanks and starts to create this fucking world. Um, and it could just be a couple simple brush strokes or like a splash of color um, that sort of uh, insinuates action or energy. I love that shit. Is it the same for you? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I would definitely, there's so many different aspects and what I find, I mean, everybody has their own, their own way of going about things and their own way of uh, interpreting what they like about art. But um, I end up changing my mind all the time about what it is I like about it and focusing on different things. And then the, the goal for me is to not forget the things that I was just into. So one second, like for what you're talking about to me, I just think of rhythm. So like that rhythm of, you know, say some guy's got his arm stretched out and your eye follows that motion in that direction into another piece of the composition. And that brings you back around to this and you get this kind of movement of your eye just circling around. Mm -hmm. You don't realize that there's actually those, the artist probably intentionally put those lines in there for you to, to go around his painting like a track. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it's accidental, but I think most of the time it's on purpose, at least with the really good guys. And so I get into, I've been into that probably about a hundred times since I've been doing this. And then I'll work on something and I'll be so focused on something else. I realize like, shit, man, I didn't get the rhythm of this. And then, so it's sometimes it's like, you need to sacrifice one aspect of what you like for the other thing that you like to be louder. So, I mean, I know, I guess I kind of changed the question there, but no, it's um, cool. composition. It's yeah. Composition. Um, I don't know if you know the guy, Justin Sweet. No. He's, you should check him out. He's, he's like an old school, one of the old school digital guys. He does uh, fantasy, you know, he does a lot of like Conan type stuff, but oh, his cool. compositions are really, he's really loose. He's one of those lucky guys that can just put a few splash of, of paint and make something just so beautiful. And uh, it probably takes him half the time the rest of the top guys do. Um, he's just lucky enough that he has so much energy and so much rhythm and such a good uh, compositional knowledge that like uh, you don't need any details. You don't need um, uh, those other aspects. I mean, he's got the color. He's got so much to it. But you should you should definitely check him out. He's, he's super badass. Awesome, man. So what what uh, medium are you usually working? Are you usually working with a tablet and working online kind of thing? And are you working in like Photoshop or are you doing actual physical mediums like paint and paper and stuff? Yeah, I, get, I gave up actual paint a long time ago because um, – Man, I just can't clean. I can't do the cleaning part like that. That I mean, I never got really great at it. Um, the main thing I started with was pencil and just sketching. And I mean, if you went on my Instagram, I, I post little like doodles that um, I still do. And I think my still my true kind of love and, and my most favorite thing to do is just draw and not have a direction because most of the time when I'm working, it's you have an art director telling you what they want. You have a brief and if, if I could do what I wanted, it would just be going to a coffee house or like a bar. Um, like we have, we have drink and draws out here. It's like one of my most favorite things to do. You go meet up with buddies, you have some drinks and you draw whatever the hell you want. Awesome. Um, yeah. And that kind of freedom is cool. Just to kind of let the pencil move around. 
uh, explore shapes, see if something comes out of it. If not, you know, it's not a big loss. Um, for most of my uh, client work, it is uh, Photoshop. Uh, use a Cintiq or a tablet. The tablet thing, I'm really using a lot more these days because I find that, um, and maybe you have a problem with this, but we sit a lot at our desk. I think you probably don't as much because you're directing. Uh, so that's cool. It's good for you to actually stand up every once in a while, but, uh, <laughs> for, yeah, it's brutal. But uh, for us guys, like sitting there drawing all day, like if you work on a Cintiq, your arm is up all day. Um, and you can find that you can't really change your position. And over time you can get like some shoulder problems. And another thing is when you have your hand on the Cintiq, you're, um, you're actually covering up a big part of your composition. And, uh, when you work on a tablet, you can sit back, see your whole composition and at least in the beginning phases, it's really good to kind of see everything at once. Huh. And that kind of goes to that uh, composition idea that you're talking about. But just to be able to kind of make marks, see how they all work together. And then sometimes I'll jump to a Cintiq to finish something off because it's more about the details and, and flushing stuff out. Yeah, no, I, um, I do a lot of post-production stuff and I do a lot of my own boards and do that stuff. And it took me years I don't know why. I was just stubborn about it. And I was doing most of my stuff on paper. And then I'd have to go through the process of scanning it in and dealing with that and then getting into Photoshop. And a few years ago, I actually got my hands on a Cintiq and it kind of blew my fucking world open. And it was, it was mm. like, it was like, of course, there's a reason why everybody is using these things. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying as far as the fatigue goes, because after a period of time, your shoulder starts killing you and you're like, ah, fucking, you're sort of bent over this thing. Um, so that does make a lot of sense, man. I, I don't envy, like you said, luckily I, my, my biggest problem as an artist is that I have my hands in too many fucking things. And so, uh, for me, I usually start stuff like I'll start concept work or I'll do a couple of sketches and then I'll use those to translate to someone that's doing the concept work for me. Like, this is kind of what I like and this is what I'm thinking and blah, 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 blah. And I just use it more as like a translation tool and I'm not really a finished artist. So I don't uh, spend the amount of time. Uh, that you do hunched over these things. So uh, that makes a lot of so sense. Are you, jump, are you jumping around a lot because you're just into all that stuff? Or are you like for your job, you have to get involved in everything? It's a bit of everything, dude. Like for, you know, I, I've said this before. The, the One of the toughest challenges as a director is that I have to take these abstract ideas or emotions that are in my brain or that are currently exciting me and figure out a way to get them out of my head and into your head with like 60% uh, accuracy. So the, it, it may be that I can sit down and describe that. It may be that I can write things down. It may be that I go and take photographs and I start to compile photographs or it's, I just start sketching things out. It's so I have to have my hands in a bit of all those things because my work is very visually oriented. Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the art of visual storytelling and I'm, in movies and cinema, I think that is what ultimately this business is. I think these days it's sort of been bogged down with uh, way too much script and structure. And I'm not saying that script's not important. Script's very important. But uh, you've got a lot of writers directing these days. And so I think the art of visual storytelling has actually gone more into the game world uh, and been more, mm. more imaginative in the game world. Uh, than it has been in film for quite some while. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting conversation that we can get into too. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I I mean, I've kind of seen that. I, I don't know, like lately, I, I mean, I love film. And actually at some point I wanted to be, I kind of 
I, I kind of wanted to be everything when I was younger, like every, I wanted to be a film director, animator. And um, so I really appreciate film and it looks like such a, not only just like interesting uh, medium, but a, a fun process. Um, but yeah, I've noticed lately that, that films, I don't know if it's just because of the money aspect when you have more money into uh, a film that you're going to have more of the suits at the top, pulling the strings, not allowing, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, most of the, the crew, that's like, part most of, of the like best stuff is like the creative, um, chances that you take. That's the, those have the biggest payoffs, but I can see that, uh, probably a lot of people at the top are not willing to take those chances. So, um, an indie film, I don't, I feel like I used to watch a lot more indie films and now I don't know if I'm just not putting enough time trying to find, um, to find them. And I'm on Netflix or the places where I'm not going to be able to find them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a lull and games is definitely, especially indie games, like with gameplay and with storytelling, maybe it's not as high fidelity, but they're definitely taking some chances and, and definitely trying stuff out. And I think that's why there's a lot of payoff uh, in the indie game world. It's just like, it's just nice. It's refreshing to see something that you don't expect. And this like beginning, middle, end, uh, a story arc to these Hollywood movies now, I just, I, everybody, whether they know it or not, I think subconsciously know that you're going to be going through those steps. And at some, at some point you have, I mean, you have to stick to it somewhat, but if it doesn't deviate enough, then it's so obvious. And what's the point? So Dude, I mean, that's that, how I, I felt lately. Dude, that's the biggest problem that we have as storytellers in the film business right now is that there are specific formulas that are involved. And, you know, video games and creating video games is just as expensive, if not more expensive than doing a lot of these films. But uh, you're still dealing with that artist meets commerce uh, relationship. And these days, the commerce end of things is a is is a lot strong. It's it's the the abusive wife in the relationship yeah. where you're dealing with uh, these companies that are like, hey, look, uh, we're going to invest in an IP that everybody knows, and we're going to throw 160, 200 uh, million into a production for a comic book franchise or a video game franchise or something like that because we know that the there's a built-in audience will get a return on it. And then when they do so, they also want to hit those the, the billion numbers. So at that point, you're mm. you're like, okay, so the structure has to be very easily understandable. Uh, the characters all have to be relatable uh, to everybody. So you have to you have to, to everybody. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So you have to find that mid ground, and you're you're creating characters that are easily digestible. And then you know, at the end of the day, you're you're trying to recoup, if not make a lot more money and then the opposite end of the spectrum in the world that i kind of live in which is luckily it still exists um is the low budget horror realm they go mm. the completely opposite route where it's like let's not spend any more like like the blumhouse thing it's like two million three million per movie they don't spend more than that if you're a new director that's their formula you have to go in there and play around at two million so at that point you're like Oh shit! Well, how much do I actually have? How much can I afford? The stuff that gets starts to get scrapped is all of that, what they quote unquote would call a luxury. You know that pre-concept work, all that kind of stuff usually gets scrapped down. And then you're trying to design something that is interesting, and then pay it off in a third act without the money for it to to grow to the point where the audience expects it to be. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. a it's a very difficult place to play in, and it's all about being creative. And 
no matter what, the one thing that kills me, because I do sci-fi horror stuff, and the one thing that always gets on my nerves is when I get the notes that it's the characters need to be relatable. They need to be relatable. And I'm like, fuck off. Mm. Like it <laughs> yeah. what if they're what if they're not the same fucking bullshit that's based upon, you know, like fucking hereditary. I don't care that hereditary did really well. I don't want to make the same characters that were in hereditary. I want to make some new characters. And can I not have a voice? Can I not have a voice that comes from a like a weird perspective? Uh, because it'll be interesting. It it won't be homogenized. You know what I'm saying? And dude, cheers to that, man. It's fucking yeah. It's it's yes. a diff, it's a difficult thing. So my point to come back to games and the thing that I found fascinating about games is that relatability note that we get in film a lot. I don't see it in the games at all. And I wonder if. And here's my theory, and and you can confirm or deny it. I wonder if it's because the fact that the viewer gets to control the character and walk the character through these spaces adds that re- relatability aspect to it. So then the worlds and the environments and all that stuff can be like literally batshit artistic because of that. I don't know. Like, Dude, that's, that's really interesting. Um, that is really interesting, but I, you're right, man. Like I was me and my girlfriend were just watching a movie and uh, I said that exact same thing. I'm like, why does every character need to be a stereotype of somebody or some kind of political, uh, you know, uh, stereotype or some sort of, they're just so obvious. And, um, I get that people want to put their shoes, put themselves in the shoes of the hero or one of the characters in the film, but it's becoming so obvious that what they're doing that, um, may, and I just, I write this stuff off as like, man, I'm a little bit older now. Maybe I'm just, uh, my opinion on this is, isn't really valid. You <laughs> yeah. know, these, these films are made for young kids where like they want everybody to be represented, which is cool. And, and um, but then in some ways, like you're going to have this character who's the same guy in every movie and, and it becomes so predictable and more of it's not really so much about everybody being represented, but more of someone who's just weird and unpredictable. And what you're saying, like you don't need that, um, you know, gap commercial guy to be the gap commercial guy. And I think if he was a little bit stranger, he, he threw a, a curveball on you, you, you might start listening a little bit more. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I usually like more abstract stuff. Um, I, David Lynch movies, I think are really cool. Cause what the fuck is going on there? Well, that's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's mood. Yeah, dude, it's the mood. It's the tone. And I think, I don't know, this is all theory for me, but I think that, um, uh, one of the hardest parts about being a money person and dealing with someone like David Lynch is that he's very much like a, he like he gets into uh, transcendental meditation and he's like let the mind wander and sort of we'll find it and we'll search for these things. Um, and to be someone that has invested money into you without actually just trusting the process and trusting that stuff, it's a very difficult to start to monetize that, especially early on. It's very difficult to market something that like a director is like, I'm going to find it. And they're like, yeah, but and it's like, no, I'm going to find, I'm going to find it. Uh, yeah. It, that's, that's a hard thing to do. And as an artist, you know, this, like when I, when you sit down, when I sit down to do sketching, 
I'll do like key points so I understand perspective and I understand the relationship and size relationship in a frame where I'll just sketch here, sketch here, sketch here and sort of work my way around before I start doing detail-oriented stuff. Um, there are those artists, I forget their names, but they blow my fucking mind. Like Jeff Darrow's, I think, does it, where they can actually start super small on a detail, like on the cross-hatching of like a piece of clothing and work their way out. Like that shit is like, mm. that's like fucking insane person shit. Like Kim, Kim, uh, Kim Jong-un, yeah. uh, Kim yeah. Jong-un. Yeah, okay. yeah, dude, it's, oh, yeah, that's like fucking insane person shit. So for me, it's like I have to float around and I have to to find these things if I'm working on the page. And then when you're working with people, film is a little bit different. Like all, all of my paintbrushes and all my pencils, I've said this before, paintbrushes and pencils for me have personalities, have lives, have wives, have kids. Like th mm. they're actually humans. And so uh, add that element into it, add sort of the collaborative element into it. And like how, who's an actor and what is he bringing or she bringing to the story? And how does that change things? Um, so I'm on this fucking tangent here, but the point is that in order to create something truly different and beautiful, uh, you can't have that structure. Most of the time you can't have that structure. Most of the time you can't be like, okay, cool. So this movie's going to drop on this fucking date two years from now. We have no story. We have no script. Let's make it happen. Um, it, there are people that can do that. I saw a great doc with Ridley Scott last week. I saw the whole making of Prometheus and that's what they did. But he also locked, you know, five concept artists in a basement for months and months and months. And they just, you know, worked the shit out, you know? Yeah. And, and that movie's cool, man. Like a lot of people talk shit about that movie. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just the premise itself, like conceptually the idea and the world and the mood I, draws me in so much. That I don't care if there's like I get in so many arguments with my friends because there's like oh there's these story holes and like it just doesn't make sense and like so what yeah maybe it doesn't yeah but I don't for me personally I'm not gonna write off a movie that I'm enjoying because like wait a second like helium would not be able to like be that light in that atmosphere or whatever a lot of science fiction guys like uh, they pull out their 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 science books to to say this is right or wrong. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I I play devil's advocate a lot. So you're gonna say something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but those people are the same people that would like you know, bitch about the the heat and the coffee in the coffee cup and not understand how like the process that went through to make it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's for me, films are films are not novels. Films aren't books. There's an art to writing, and there's an art to writing an amazing script. There's an art to writing an amazing novel and using words and using literature to express that is fantastic. And there are filmmakers that, uh, and screenplay writers that will, will take you on a ride with their language. They'll take you on a, a ride with dialogue and some will take you on a ride with plot twists and, and plot points. Mm. That is always really cool. And seeing those people work within the restrictions or confines of a three act structure and make something really amazing is really great to watch. That's, that is like one type of film. I think the danger with movies is that people like to lump them all together and judge them all the same fucking way. I wouldn't judge a fucking mammoth movie against a Panos Cosmatos movie. Like it's they're they're completely different. And and Panos did Beyond the Black Rainbow, he did Mandy. So watching those films to me is like going to a museum and staring at a painting on the fucking wall and getting lost in it. Or or open, right. 
opening up one of those illustrative books and just filling in the fucking blanks with your mind as far as the story goes, but just having your mind blow blown visually is right. And that's the way it should be. You know, like there should be different films serve different purposes and, and they should. And that's, I guess what we're agreeing on is like the problem with a lot of these big Hollywood films is like, they're there meant to be for everybody, which means they can't do certain things and they need to be somewhat, um, generic across the board, not to offend people and to make sure everybody uh, has um, something to uh, to like and to relate to. And, you know, a lot of times like the, uh, but that, I mean, sp- movies for specific people are usually the movies that they like the most. You know, you don't see a lot of like film buffs saying they liked the, the latest, like, you know, WB comic movie or whatever. Um, so, but that's like, those are, but like you said, those are made for people to go out and with their family and have popcorn and, and that's that. So, sure. and I try to play devil's advocate, you know, getting in, you know, kind of segue a little bit to the games thing. Like I, from the beginning of my career in games, like this conversation, the relationship between the guys on the ground and the guys at the top, that conversation goes on forever. By top, I mean like the suits, the guys who have the money, yep. the guys who in the end uh, make the calls. And like, this is just like the yin and yang. And there's, it's just like this balancing act of, of, um, they give a little, you take a little, you take a little, you know, just that back and forth. And I don't think like there's ever like a harmonious relationship between finances and the artist because the artists always want to push things. I think no matter what genre mm. and, um, I just seen this like and had this conversation from my first job. We like I got in there and I think the first week people were talking about like, oh, we should be doing this. Like we should be pushing this harder. Like the silhouette isn't big enough. What what the hell are we doing? And um, I think it's it's I don't know I try to play devil's advocate because at the end of the day, like these guys that are giving you your salary and I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just this yeah. is the way it is. Yeah. They're paying you to get, you know, something to get the, to get their money back. And they're on their uh, left side of the brain and, and you're on your – or they're on the right side of the brain and you're on the left, uh, you know, unless you're left-handed. Wait. <laughs> no, it still applies. You get what I'm saying. So yeah. like that is just a, a really unique uh, situation and hopefully you have good producers that are able to kind of dip their foot in each side and, and see both perspectives because I've seen a lot of things fail because there wasn't that conversation. Um, I assume you have like similar, uh, that's kind of what I'm hearing. You have similar kind of frustrations in film too. Sure. I mean, it's good that you have that perspective. I have that perspective as well because I've produced a lot of my own stuff and I hate actually producing stuff that I direct because then I have to, I have to turn on both sides of my brain, which ends up becoming a difficult thing because uh, if it gets really hard for me as a producer, then I start to change what my concept is as a director and it gets very difficult uh, to, to play both those. Um, but it is a harmonious relationship. And as a director myself, I want to make sure that whoever is dropping cash for me, whoever is believing in my work is going to get their money back. And I, I firmly believe in the longer game for me. It's like, mm. this is a career path. The process for me is more fun than the end product most of the time. Um, and so you have to have that balance. I think it's, it's very important to do so. It's just an interesting thing to talk about the cause of the, the modern state of storytelling right now and, and 
how it's got to where it is. It's a, there's a huge difference between movies today and movies in the 1970s. And I think the freedom that came from the 1970s with films like Easy Rider, which I think started it all, was that the studios became so bloated and the productions became so big and boring and they're doing fucking cheesy beach bopper fucking surfer movies or they're doing like giant Cleopatra, Cleopatra like epics. Um, and the and the Western just fucking died. So like I, I think the studios got desperate at that point and the audiences needed something new and needed something refreshing. Um, and so mm. during the 70s, they sort of turned to filmmakers again and they said hey uh you guys are hot right now take some money and do what you need to do with it um and that sort of brought us all those the greats you know like the scorsese's and the fucking coppola's and the spielberg's that sort of started to transition in through the 80s and then those guys started to create the blockbusters so like spielberg doing mm. jaws and and then the money that started to come in on the blockbusters uh that sort of shifted the paradigm to where it is now, where the the money became a bigger thing and became about creating blockbusters and creating profit and doing all that stuff. So we're, I think at this point, we're at the, we've been at the back end of that. Now we're sort of transitioning into the algorithm world where earlier you were saying that there's a, you don't even know about independent stuff. It's very difficult to find that stuff because it gets, lost in the fucking algorithm game now. So when you're on Netflix or you're, if you're in music and you're listening to stuff on Spotify, these algorithms will just feed you exactly what you want. And right. I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed this on Netflix, but you know, you had A Quiet Place that came out, then you had fucking Bird Box that comes out right after it about someone that came here. <laughs> yeah. and, and then there's yeah. that other bullshit one that was just out. Uh, Dude, yes, yes, yes. And what I, is it? Because I just saw it. There's another blind or a deaf movie. It's the same scenario. Uh, and it's just algorithm fucking formula crap where they're just like, <laughs> th these people want this shit and they start to, they start to give it to you. And, and at that point, you know, coming from a music video world, it starts to feel like, subgenres within a genre where you're like, oh, okay, so this is all like sludge fucking metal and this is all based on Black Sabbath, but it's all different variations. Oh, come on, fuck off. <laughs> Dude, it's so, it's so icky, man. Like, um, and they're, they're so smart. And like, I, I mean, this kind of applies, I guess, but you search for anything and then you start getting ads for the same thing and on Instagram or Google. And, and some part of you is like, that is smart. But the, another part of you is, Ooh, that's, um, yeah, you, there's other things out there that you'd probably love to see. They're just, just because you liked ice cream yesterday doesn't mean you want to eat it every day. And um, it's, it's kind of disturbing how they get to you like that. I don't, I don't know how they do it. But. So this seems like the perfect time to take a break and uh, get a plug-in for our sponsors, uh, the companies that have been supporting our show. And if you're new to the episode and you're new to the podcast, I'm very excited to introduce you to a company called Puget Systems, uh, especially if you are in the video game world, if you're uh, attempting to uh, design video games, learn 3D animation stuff, uh, PCs, as you know, PCs are better, faster, cheaper. Just comes down to it. 
Um, and uh, many of you out there may know how to build your own PC, but as you start to get into uh, a situation where you want to focus completely on your art and you want it to be reliable, uh, you want to have some sort of customer service, you want to have some sort of guarantee. Um, and I was in that position as a director and an editor, uh, and I had a post-production company with people that were working for me, um, and I didn't want to become tech support for everybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, dealing with the other company, the big company, uh, the Apple, <laughs> uh, they sell customer support, they do all that sort of stuff, and you sort of get brainwashed into that mentality of like, I need that help. Um, and so when I was looking for a different alternative, um, and I turned to PCs, I was like, man, am I going to still get that? Am I still going to feel safe uh, with what I buy? And that's when I found Puget Systems. These guys are amazing. They build custom PCs for you uh, based upon the software that you're going to use. So uh, they'll uh, suggest a baseline package. Uh, you can choose on their website based upon the software. They'll suggest a baseline package for you that can then be customized. And this is the thing that's really cool about PCs. Um, they can be upgraded. Um, they uh, are less expensive so that you can start to put and focus that money into specific hardware uh, specs. Because uh, as we know, uh, different software uh, companies require different hardware specs. Um, so like if you're gonna build a, a, a monster After Effects machine, there's a specific kind of graphics card for that. If you're gonna build a, a monster uh, Premiere machine, there's a different hardware configuration for that. Um, the cool thing about Puget is that these guys have done all that research. They continue to do all that research. Uh, they do a lot of benchmark testing. They do a lot of beta testing. And they support uh, PC builders. So they offer these results up on their website for free. So for them, they love the, they love the scene. They love these industries. They want to be helpful. Um, and they also provide a great service. They create amazing PCs that are, re are reliable, fast, and efficient. And they have killer, killer uh, tech support. So you actually talk to real people when you deal with these guys. Um, I've had multiple PCs from them. I cut everything I do on Puget Systems PCs. Um, so all my films, all my stuff has been done on that. So if you're in the market, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a 3D animator, if you're just a gamer and you want a beefy fucking game machine, uh, reach out to Puget Systems at PugetSystems.com. Okay, for all of my regular filmmaker and photographer friends uh, that uh, continue to come on the show, you will be familiar with our next sponsor. It's Rule Boston Camera. If you are a filmmaker uh, and you're looking to use some of the latest and greatest gear and you don't want to constantly, every year, have to be rebuying your stuff and, and trying to stay up on the latest trends, I highly suggest you form a relationship with your local rental house. And if you're on the East Coast, I really suggest you hang out with the dudes over at Rule Boston Camera. Uh, these guys have an inventory of the best gear. The stuff that you see all your favorite movies shot with. And you can go in and get your hands on it. You can get trained from these guys. Uh, you can learn about the technology. You can learn about what is coming out. Um, learn the proper way to use it. I mean, sure, you can look at stuff on YouTube. But there's a big difference between pausing and stopping a YouTube tutorial and actually sitting in a room and putting your hands on it. 
Um, so that's the big benefit of a great relationship with the rental house. The second huge benefit is their stuff is pretty much guaranteed. So we all know that when you go on a shoot, uh, shit's going to go down. Always does. Could be the battery fails. Maybe it's too cold outside and the lens freezes to the body. Something happens. Uh, and if you're close to your rental house and you're shooting in that area, they'll come and bring you a replacement. Like how fucking cool is that, right? I mean, how awesome is it that you can turn to your clients or the producer that you're working with saying, we'll be fine today. Like if the gear goes down, they'll just drive us out another one. Not a big deal. Um, that is the benefit of renting locally. Uh, there's a lot of benefits, I guess, to renting from rental places online, but that's the big problem I have with that is that when you rent from one of these online rental places, you get what you get. You don't get to check the gear out. You don't get to test the gear before you go to a show. And if something happens, you're screwed. So like I said, check out your local rental house. It'll make you a better freelance shooter. Uh, it'll ease your mind uh, and you'll be current. Uh, and if you're on the East Coast, check out Rule Boston Camera. All right. Uh, last plug for a sponsor. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please support us. Uh, support us by uh, telling your friends, posting, reposting, brag about the fact that you listen to this podcast. I don't know how many times I go on to Twitter and I see people asking for podcast suggestions because they have long flights, they have long traffic rides. Tell them, please, to listen to In Love With The Process. And here's why. I like to deliver this show as often as possible, and I can only do so with sponsors. Sponsors help me cover the overhead for the production of the show. It's not like I'm looking to buy a BMW here, guys. It's just enough to, to validate me sitting down once a week to record these things and put them out. Um, and the only way sponsors really care is if they see that there are listeners and if they see that the listeners are interacting. Um, so if you really support the show, please share it, tell your friends. If you want to support me with some donations, you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There's a $5 donation button there. Um, and donations are thanked on multiple levels for me. Usually I'll thank you directly and maybe I'll even offer up something interesting. So a $5 donation button. And if you can't reach into your wallet because you work in this industry and you're not making money, totally understand. Uh, if you haven't done so already, you can sign up for a free trial at Audible. And if you sign up using our name, so I think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I might've got that right on this episode. I'll have the link below. But if you sign up for Audible using our link, uh, we get paid. You get a free trial for 30 days. You also get a free book for 30 days. Um, and I love Audible. It's a great way to read books because I... Like you guys, I cram every moment of my day with learning, with working. Um, first thing in the morning, I'm working on shit, and I usually work until like 9, 10 at night. Um, and so the best way for me to stay up on books is while I'm driving in the car, and I can listen to them. Um, and Audible's fantastic for that. So if you haven't done so already, check out Audible. Use the link below uh, or the link associated with this episode. It's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I think that's what it is. I never read the stuff. I always go off the cuff and I'm surprised they haven't given me shit for it yet. They will eventually. But anyway, click the link below. All right. So enough ranting and raving. Uh, let's get back to video games. 
So here's an interesting thing about the game. So bring it back to gaming. Um, like uh, I used to play games a lot when I before I really decided to get into my film business because at this point games just seem like they hijack most of your fucking life. Like if you're going to play them, they're long running games and it's this thing that you're you're deep into. So I could I had to walk away from it. I loved gaming and I had to walk away from it because I just didn't have the time to do so. Uh, and this was like. Jesus Christ, this is like PlayStation 1 period for me where I was like, okay, I got to get out of this and I have to get into what it is I want to do. And recently, last year, we had some time and I'm like, I want to go back and I want to get into games and I want to find some interesting new game stuff. Uh, and I started to do the research. And if, for the big tentpole games, it felt like the same kind of thing that was going on with cinema right now where it's like, okay, so this is just a first place, first person shooter. And this game is obviously based on Grand Theft Auto. And this game is in this other genre. Where is the interesting new stuff? Where's the, the multiplayer stuff? Oh, well, you don't do multiplayers on one console anymore because everybody needs to have their own console and it needs to have their own uh, subscription service. Okay, got it. Um, but then I found some really cool stuff with the indie games. And uh, what's the name of that game? Is it Iris or something? It's the one about the, the uh, it was an indie game about the girl that has to go into her subconscious. It was so, it was so fucking beautiful. What the hell is the name of that game? I, is it Celeste? Is that what it is? I, I don't know. I, I play, I play a lot actually. So I'm, I'm sure I've heard of it. I can't, can't kind of register I, I, that though. Um, I'm, I'm looking it up as we, like you would think that I would have done my fucking research. <laughs> That's uh, all good. Oh my god! But dude, if you're playing games, if you're playing games where you have no life, you're doing it right. I mean, that's like the, like when you get. I mean, I so we haven't talked about games much, but I've definitely played a lot. And for a while, I got into um, Warcraft was a big thing way back in the day. Yeah. And yeah, man, it's beautiful. I have like some of my favorite memories, and a lot of people probably think this is sad, but like just being out there in Stranglethorn, like grinding, trying to get some gold. I mean, like, I mean, I was doing it with friends. Other times I was up at four o'clock in the morning before I had work the next day. And like, you just get so engrossed in this fantasy world. Oh, and yeah. I guess I'll tie, I'll tie this back together with what you asked before. I, I never answered is like, um, you know, with people wanting to put themselves in the shoes of these movie characters, do you think it's the same for games? And I think the cool thing about games is a lot of people are playing games to escape. And so they don't need to relate. It's some some games like um, like Last of Us. There's it's good to have some characters that you know and you can relate to. But there's other games like, dude, God of War. I can't relate to to Kratos at all. But I want to step in his shoes and I want to be as badass as him. And so there's that aspect. And I think there's probably a lot more opportunity for uh, interesting uh, characters because, um, yeah, like anything goes. Anything that makes you feel. Um, other than yourself, and a lot of times more powerful than yourself. That's that's the kind of goal, I think, in most games. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Oh, when I found that game, so that game is Gris, so G-R-I-S. Do you remember that game? Have you Actually, let me, let me look it up, too. I don't think... If I, if I switch um, tabs, everything's good, right? You should be fine. Gris. Okay. Dude, that game... Okay, so first off, the game is gorgeous. So it's like this watercolored like two-dimensional kind of thing, and the gameplay is really amazing in it. But then uh, here's a great example of creating a story that, that I can't relate to at all, but I still fucking loved. It's essentially about a young girl dealing with depression, 
and it goes into her mind and and they come up with this way of creating uh visually creating her struggling with depression it is a fucking phenomenal game it was a fantastic game total indie uh but gris if you, you haven't played it yet no, I definitely know this game, though. I mean, I, have, I haven't played it, but, yeah, it looks beautiful. I, I remember seeing uh, previews for this. It's really, really nice. Um, Nomada Studios. They look um, – the style looks familiar. I wonder if they did something else. Um, I wonder if they did the same game. What was the one – it was like a black-and-white noir game with a little kid that was sort of running through this forest and there was a light following him. It's, oh, yeah, it's uh, that's Inside. I believe it's Inside. Yeah, um, those games are wild. I mean, it, I know it's completely different than – like a God of War game, and I I still love those games. I love that being able to be, you know, like a like a hero playing out like a an action hero essentially. But uh, the stuff that I found through the independent games was just wild. It was very eye opening and very experimental as far as storytelling goes. And at that point, I was looking at games, going, mm, "There's a lot of room in that format to tell interesting new stories," you know. Definitely. Actually, the the game you're talking about is Limbo. It's made by the same people as Inside. But dude, totally. I mean, I think. I mean, after we get off, I'll have to. Um, I can kind of scrounge up some some games I I've played that I think you'd be into. I mean, off the top of my head, um, I mean, Journey is one that has a. It's really easy to play and it has a unique kind of uh, experience to it. Cool. And um, oh man, I I'm actually playing Sekiro right now. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, what is this? So it's um, it's the guys that made the uh, Dark Souls games, and these games are all, uh, they're meant to break you down and test your patience, and like you really have to earn the win. And it's not for everybody. And I didn't want to play them for the longest time, and uh, I'm about to give up, to be honest. But like, <laughs> you have to, you have to put so much effort into it to get that to the next, next, next level. So the payoff is huge. Um, it's actually not so much about story, so I don't know if you should should play it, but um, they're really really well done. Um, I mean, when you beat that that boss, like you you actually scream, like you you can't control yourself. You're just so filled with like joy and re- relief that you can do something else with your life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I went through an indie phase that um, I think uh, there's one that's like in the the Balkans where there's a like a during the Bosnian war and you're surviving underground. Oh, uh, cool. I'll send you a list. I, yeah. Off the top of my head, I can't, can't think of anything, but there's a bunch. All right. Well, Hey, let me, let me just rope back into the podcast here. Cause you and I have been off on a really good tangent. Um, let's talk about, let's go back to talk about uh, design work. So um, when you, uh, let me see, when you were working for the larger uh, studios, were you just dealing with art directors at that point? And then how did your design start? Would someone just sort of come in with like a one-page treatment for who a character is? Um, and are you designing characters uh, specifically around what they need to do in the game? Or are you designing characters first and then figuring out what they need to do in a game? I mean, all of the above, man. So it's like, uh, for one, there's, there's the type of art director you work for and they're going to have their own sensibilities and their own way of working. Um, And then there's the needs of the the studio and the needs of the task. So, I mean, basically the the standard go-to approach when a concept artist gets a job is you have a character, 
Um, the, the first thing they want to know is uh, if there is gameplay, which doesn't happen as much as you would think, but I have done some sketching of like, here's the attacks, here's the blocks, um, which is really fun stuff because it's loose and you're kind of doing 2D animation at that point with only a few frames. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can either give you the, the brief. It's like, we need a guy who's, I mean, this is really generic, but let's say we need a warrior. He's got a, a sword and a shield. And then you just ask questions or like, you know, what, what else do we got? Cause the goal ultimately is you want, whether the, the people giving you the job create, have a story in place for them. You want to make sure there's a story there no matter what. So if they don't have it, you got to create it yourself. And they say, no, we just want a warrior. It's like, well, okay, I'll figure the rest out. So <laughs> let's say, like, so I worked on a game of Thrones, uh, game and all those characters. Now you work on a Tully you know what you're getting into. You redesign it a little bit so it's not the same, but you're staying close to the, uh, the source material. If you get the guy with the sword and the shield and the developers don't know what he does, they know how he attacks, but they don't give a shit where he's from, that's like a concept artist dream world. Because then not only do you get to make a character, but you get to make a backstory. You get to Because you want to make that depth. And whether people know it or not, they, they can I, I think at least they can feel whether um, the artist put the amount of attention into the, the origins of this character right. and why he's wearing certain outfits um, or armor or, um, you know, so, and there's that balance between the visual aspect, like, Oh, I don't think these shoulder pads look cool because of whatever they're, they're huge. Then there's a functional aspect and then there's a story aspect. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's actually a lot more straightforward than you would, you would think. They, there's, there's some limitations a lot of the times. Sometimes there's very few limitations. But um, the biggest things that people probably wouldn't know unless they're in games is there's a lot of technical limitations. And um, that's why if you looked at my concepts, there's not a lot of flowing cloth, not a lot of huge silhouettes because the games I've worked on, they, they don't want big silhouettes. Even though I love big silhouettes and that's really interesting, you have to, um, you have to kind of play to, to those rules. Um, Weird. And to me, that's fun. It's it's really fun. Um, this is one last thing I'll say about it. Like, I've worked with a lot of artists, and they continue to do what they want because they're badasses and they think it'll work. But um, there's a really cool challenge in getting a job, and it sounds kind of dumb at first. Um, I, I love the challenge of like trying to find something that um, that's cool in there, and at the very least, something I can enjoy doing. So if I have to do some uh, say some, uh, peasant, you know, you have the guy with the sword, you're going to need the peasant. That's not nearly as interesting. He's going to be in like, uh, I don't know, like a potato sack pants or something, but okay. I can, I can work on my like materials or I can work on my, um, the way I pose the character. So, um, yeah, there's always something to find interesting about it. And, uh, so I've, I've, I've gone off from what you asked. You said, how do you approach it? But, um, Dude. Hopefully that answered what you're asking. Dude, it's perfect. What is the deal with silhouettes? Like, why is uh, silhouettes not a thing? Um, so I, I worked on the Mortal Kombat games for a while, and uh, Justice, the DC fighting game, and it's not like a taste thing. I think everybody likes a nice, interesting silhouette that reads, um, and hopefully they're still there. But with the fighting game, if you have a big, say, shoulder pad, uh, say Warcraft style, and you have this big spike, and you're fighting. And so this one guy punches it and you don't hit him, then the other player is going to be sad. 
And uh, if you can't hit him, that means that guy's um, box, it's a, a bounding box, is is bigger and is actually going to cause more problems. And um, to keep things kind of fair and keep things organized, they want to sort of tighten things in because uh, they can get away with a little bit. But if you go to Warcraft crazy with that in these fighting games, then uh, you know, you're punching a piece of the guy and you're not getting any hits on him. So uh, that's, that's a realistic thing that you have to, to worry about in, in certain games. The cloth thing is animating cloth in a game is really expensive. Um, I, I don't know if you worked with, with animation. You have bones in the characters. and Yep. Yeah. So, you know, if you have cloth simulation, a lot of the times it can be really expensive. Um, and if you need a flowing cape, um, then you do it. But if, if it's not necessary, then they usually scrap it. Huh. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Cause then you're dealing with, you're coming back to the commerce and you're coming back to the fact that your sketches and your design are just a simple piece to a larger, a larger thing. So like fascinating. Okay. Got it. Got actually, it. I have a, a funny story. Um, he's actually a buddy of mine, but this last place I worked, he was the technical artist. And uh, I mean, I try to push it as much as I can. Uh, I, I try to walk the line between pissing the, the technical artists and producers off and getting what I want, or I think would be cool. And so, like, we just got into it so hard. He's like, dude, this, this it's kind of like a, a front flap. Like, you have, um, fuck, what you, well, I don't know what you would call that. Just a piece of cloth that's kind of covering over the front of a character. Yep. And he's like, well, you know, this is going to be too hard to do this or whatever. I'm like, dude, this is so basic. And like everybody has this. This is like a piece of attire that is in every game. He's like, but it's going to cost this. And so the way he sees it is that like nobody else has, in the game has this. If you want to introduce this, we need to start, you know, it's going to take more work and it's going to take a, a new rigging system. And, uh, and I just see that he's being lazy, which he's not, he's got other stuff to do. And then you can like create this kind of battle. And, uh, and, and a lot of times, like what character gets approved to go in the game is the outcome of whoever won the battle between the technical artist and the, uh, say the concept artist or 3d artist. Then it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I lose those battles all the time. <laughs> Fascinating. That's wild. Cause, uh, like there's an ass load of people that work on video games. Like generally, you know, the crew for or the team for a video game is in the hundreds, right? Like how many on like a large Oh game? yeah, I mean it depends, man. It depends. Uh I mean you got like Riot and Blizzard that's got apparently got thousands, you know. Then you have studios that have you know hundreds, but they have studios across the world, like Ubisoft. I think uh -huh. they have thousands in Montreal as well. Most of the studios I worked for had about a, a hundred plus. And that seems to be the norm for these bigger studios is like any more than 150, it, um, I don't know, maybe there's some psychological reasons why they don't go over that or uh, I don't know, but 100 to 150 for the bigger studios seems to be what I'm familiar with. But that could just be me. Um, and even at that point, man, like this last place I worked, I felt like I was walking through the halls and I, I didn't know anybody. I mean, granted, I'm a little older and I'm not talking as much, but um, yeah, it's the, the tighter, the smaller uh, studios and smaller teams, definitely, I think, um, okay, I shouldn't say that's too too generalist. But when you have a smaller team, you're able to kind of have better communication and there's more of a consensus of what the whole point of the project is. You scale up 
and man, like wrangling everybody to be in line and yeah. to make sure the logistics are right is, I mean, it's gotta be the same for film. So yeah. um, I really think film and, and games are like, you got the, the producers who everybody are frustrated with and, uh, and the artists who want to like, you know, just have fun. <laughs> and and strange like i've never been to like a big game company does it start to feel does it start to get kind of corporate in there or is it like like it must be because the only thing i can equate it to is like a silicon valley but like an artist silicon valley am i way off point with that like is it no i think i think it's okay every place has a different i mean i think i said this in the beginning like every place has a familiar vibe or a, um, a consistent vibe in games and then um they're going to have, there's always going to be a bad thing, but the bad thing is always going to be something different. And there's always going to be great things. And usually the great things are going to be different. It's like, I, so I worked at five studios before I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of don't want to play politics anymore. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was kind of a big point of it. Uh, but yeah, so. So that makes so, can you Sorry. rephrase that question one more time? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I was just asking like uh, what the what the vibe was because for me when I from the corporate, outside, yeah. yeah, from the outside, it's like is this just a corporate thing or do they still have fun or are they is it? It's weird. It's it's a weird thing for me because film and this my, I'm going to make the transition into freelance here because film ultimately it's a different game if you're on the crew and you're on the team you're almost like carnies you know what I mean like yeah. you're. It's like a road road team, road crew, that whole thing. And then when you start to get into the visual effects departments, you start to get into these companies. A lot of these visual effects places or post-production places that I've gone to start to run that line of being a little corporate. You know what I mean? And the yeah. artists the artists are sort of locking themselves in their offices and they and the exchange becomes a little bit different. I didn't Yeah, I, yeah. You know, like for me from the outside, when I look at video game stuff, I'm like, that must be what that's like. It must be like a post-production house, but like on a larger scale, you know? Yeah, I mean, totally. Sorry, I, I kind of, I started to go off in one direction because um, it, it can get like that. And I think where you start to see that, and this is where I was about to go off on a tangent because I can do this, is um, uh, production, and this is kind of going back to what we were talking before, has a very different kind of idea of where things should go and the artists have another and I think that's where the, the corporate stuff comes in. Not that it's necessarily corporate in that, um, hmm. uh, you know, like the everybody's wearing suits and like you can't say fuck. But yeah. it becomes corporate because there is a little bit of a, a strain. Um, or they put a, a roadblock on, uh, on a, a potential path that could lead to something creatively amazing. And right. to me, that is sort of the first like – this is only being done because of either fear and all things that I think I guess you could wrap up as, as corporate. But right. at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like those guys, nobody wears suits and games. Like one guy I worked with was actually told that he needed to shower more because he always he just wore sweatpants and he was like the <laughs> sloppiest dude ever. I mean, the guy's awesome. But uh, yeah, it's really super relaxed, actually, most places, even the bigger places that were making, you know, big big uh you know millions and millions they didn't that's the nerdiness in games uh, opposed to film i think it plays a big role and i mean this like in a, a good way i'm i'm a nerd so um yeah there's always that under uh, the undercurrent of like we're making video games like chill out um we're all nerds here um 
And that's one of the things I, I really like. And I think I just got a little too, I think I wanted to do things my way. And I, like I said, I have this partner that we, we, we lined up and I'm like, I think I can do, I think with this guy, we can do this better and we can create our, our own kind of thing. And, um, I left because, because of that. But if I really wanted to be a part of this kind of nerdy collaborative environment, it can be a, a really cool place to work. And I think games, uh, like I'm so super fortunate to have uh, worked in it for so long, like in-house. Because, I mean, I've had so many great times with, uh, it's probably the same in film. You're down there with your guys. You know, those crunch nights where you're working till like two in the morning. Yep. You're, you get the like, um, the tired giggles and shit. And um, yep. yeah, it's it's really, it's really great. Um yeah, which is, which is interesting because now we transition into you deciding that you want to go freelance and freelance is such a can be, especially if you come from a structured system where you're used to getting paid a certain salary and all that stuff. Deciding to make that jump can be uh, really scary for some folks. Was it that way for you? Um, nah, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Um, hmm. There's some things I miss for sure, like the the lunch, the, the breakfast, the free lunch and breakfast. <laughs> Dude, you'd come in there and it's just like a spread. And this last place I worked, it was just like one side was all this meat, the other side was all this good stuff, uh, healthy greens, and and uh, I kind of miss that. I miss the people. Like I said, I'm older. I don't know if it's just like uh, as you get older, you don't need this kind of camaraderie like you used to. Um, or maybe I've just seen it for so long that, um, I don't want to come off like, I'm. I'm a little bit antisocial. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little bit like, I just want to go do my work. Uh, I want to joke around a little bit, but these days, like I mainly want to do my work and, uh, I can have my, my posse at home and my friends and go off and do that stuff in my spare time. Um, but it is, it is a little scary because you don't know what that next, where that next check's going to come. And Luckily, I've been really fortunate because I've made a lot of contacts and um, I've always tried to bust my ass. So whenever I work with somebody, I, hopefully I leave a really good impression and they see that like I'm going to do what I have to do to get them what they're looking for. And so that's paid off recently. I've, I haven't had any problems. I've actually had the opposite where um, I just now kind of cut off working too many jobs because uh, I want to have a life. Yep. And um there is a breaking point, man. And, uh, I was, I was there. I was like, at some point I had three jobs and I was kind of overseeing another job with, uh, uh, one of the guys at my studio, like kind of playing art director and, um, the money's good, but it's doing all that stuff, but it's just not worth it. So yep. I'm lucky enough to have a steady, um, kind of ongoing job right now, but I'm sure when that ends, I'm going to start, you know, picking my nails and, and, but I also think that brings out the best in you and, I'm rambling, but I this I think this kind of uh, makes sense to mention this now. I think I've be- become a better artist since I've gone freelance because when you are working in a studio, you can kind of relax more. They're not going to fire you if you do a bad job. And a lot of times, producers don't know how long it takes to draw something. So they say, oh, you got to do the guy with the sword. You got uh, a week to get a sketches. And you're like kind of laughing to yourself like, dude, that's like a day's work. <laughs> um, so you can either do them fast and just go above and beyond and do as much as you can and, and then tell them that it doesn't take that much time or you can do it and, you know, watch some YouTube, which admittedly that's the wrong thing to do. But 
you know, we all get a little too passive from, from now, now and then. And, and with freelance, you have to, I mean, time is money. And then also you're trying to find ways to achieve what you're looking for the quickest way possible. Yeah. So now I'm, I, one thing I'm working on now is like, I usually build stuff up and then if I have to render something for the final image, I'll build it up and then I will add kind of the materials in the end. Um, now I'm trying to find a way to sketch out the character, add the local colors. You know, I kind of light things always the same because it's kind of the most obvious way to light it. But I want to kind of put in brush strokes that are giving the impression of the material earlier on. And if I can weed out those like other steps, then I'm going to cut the time like drastically. And um, I think you start thinking like that when when time is money and you're, uh, you know, these jobs, there's a lot more at stake. And I think that makes you better. So I I do miss some of the food and like <laughs> the YouTube watching and the, the, like listening to music. But now uh, I think I'm, I'm definitely growing. Uh, so it's totally worth it. How long have you guys uh, had your studio up and running? How long have you been freelance now? So it's been over a year. It's been um, just about over, yeah, a little bit over a year. That's and great. Yeah, so far it's, it's, it's really good, man. Uh, our goal is to kind of find um, that, that kind of uh, dark sci-fi project. And we've, we've had a few. And uh, Milan had one that he was uh, doing on his own. And we, we really want to like – we really want to have a project that not only gets the client what they want, but kind of screams Masra that, that says, oh, that game's badass. That was done by these guys. And um, I think we're, we're perfectly capable of, of doing it and we're ready for that. And that's kind of what we're looking to do. Um, so that's next year. That's going to be not next year, but this year. Um, that's our, our main push is trying to find uh, what that project is. And that's, I mean, it's really specific too. So it can take a little time and we're going to have to do jobs maybe, you know, that aren't our first choice, but, um, I mean, that's, that's the game and that's, that's the job. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. That's freelance, dude. I've been freelance now for about 18 years and, um, it's, it's fascinating because at first when you go freelance, you're, you're just trying to figure out the actual, the skills and the technical stuff that you need to do to actually get paid. So, yep. you know, you're like, okay, as a, as a camera guy, when I was doing camera stuff, it's like, all right, I know how to use cameras. I know how to run a, I know how to be on a set. I know how to invoice. I know how to do my taxes. I know how to get this business up and running enough so that I could just go out there and work and start to stack cash. Um, and that's the, the first step. And then this, then you start to realize as you're going through, like, Oh shit! I'm also the one that's doing all the advertising for my business. I'm the one that's doing all of the networking for my business, and so then you have to sort of figure out networking and start to deal with networking. So that then gets tacked onto your tasks for the week or tasks for the day, and you forget when you decide that you're going to go freelance that you essentially are your company. You essentially are the reason for the cash coming in and all that. And I found that in the first couple of years. Uh, I got so focused on that and it was like, take any job that comes in, try to figure out how to advertise, network. I'm not going to have a social life. I'm going to be out there networking when I can, drinking beers with potential clients when I can and doing all that. And then a few years after that, you get into like the four fifth year mark. And it sounds like you're hitting it earlier. 
where you're you sort of sitting there going like, I don't have I haven't had a fucking break. I haven't had a fucking vacation. I haven't had anything in this period of time. And and I love the job that I do, but I'm getting burnt out. I'm getting burnt out pretty mm-hmm. early on. Um, and so then that next step is sort of understanding that, hey, look, I've got an, I've got cash coming in. I've learned how to live as a freelancer, which is essentially, you know, don't spend that fucking check when it shows up. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, man. Yeah. You, you know definitely. what I mean? And so then you start to learn how to balance your finances. You start to learn how to, you're basically a squirrel stacking, stacking nuts for the winter. Um, once you become you a grown of, up, I mean, you become yeah. a grown up. That's the way I'm, I'm like, man, I was, yeah. you know, I was just getting money from the man and yeah. relaxing. Yeah. And now like I'm doing yeah, that same stuff. I have to write the emails. I have to, you know, hoard the, the, the nuts away for winter. And like you become more responsible. I mean, it's kind of lame to say now my age, but it's really true. I mean, you have to take responsibility for all of it. Yeah. And so then. There's this other interesting path that that shows up where you start to find that rhythm and it's it's hard to trust a rhythm because rhythms always somehow fall apart. And in my industry and your industry too, things are constantly changing. Things are constantly developing. Suddenly everybody wants to do something new technically. And so the shit that you have becomes uh, inadequate for that. And so you're constantly trying to stay with the times and do that. But there hits a point where you find this rhythm at least for that period in time where you're in it and you have to learn a new thing, which is when to say fucking no. Mm. And that becomes this thing where uh, it's very difficult because you, you almost have, you almost have a limp (laughs) based upon your prior, your prior scenarios where you didn't make enough money or you didn't get that job. And suddenly you had two or three months where you were going to go broke and so it gets really hard to say no to, to, to work, but then you're starting to, to deal with yourself as an artist and you're starting to deal with the fatigue and how it's affecting the work that you're creating. And I went through two years of this where I was just taking jobs and doing corporate work and doing commercials and banging it out. And I hit this real hard cement roadblock creatively and for storytelling and for visuals and for all my work, and I started to fall out of love with it because of that system. And I, I, I equate it to uh, massages, right? So when I was a kid, people were like, you're going to get a massage. And I'm like, oh, fancy. Someone's got some fucking money. They're going to go get a massage. <laughs> you know? And then when you're, when you're older, and especially if you do camera work, it beats up your body, you start to realize that a massage isn't a luxury. A massage is a necessity. It's yes. something that you physically have to do to go in there and, you know, I just crossed the 40 threshold. So it's, it's something you have to do to go in there and, and actually make sure that your body fucking works. Mm. Um, and I feel like your brain needs the same thing. And your creative side of your brain needs that mental massage. It needs that break. It needs that, you know, go off and fucking, you know, some people do the peyote and go off into the fucking desert thing. I'm not, talking, <laughs> I'm not talking that ridiculous, but you know what I mean? And so I think being able to say no and to go, you know, why am I making all this money? Most of the money I'm making is just going into my fucking landlord's bank account. Like, mm. like at this point, maybe I should say no for a little bit. Maybe I should go back and, uh, and play with stuff. And that gets scary because then as soon as you're off the market, 
you know, as soon as your clients are like, well, he's, uh, you know, he's focusing on making a movie right now. He's really not doing commercials. It's like you fucking disappear. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to come back and go, I'm back. And oh, are you back? Or are you doing movie? What are you doing now? And you're like, I'm back. I'm here. Let's go have beer. So I don't know. I'm off on this really crazy tangent specifically because I think some of the listeners of the show could be or are trying to figure out how they fit in. And if it's someone that's in the in the wants to get into the gaming business, if it's an artist that wants to get into that, you your choices obviously are go work for one of the bigger studios, um, or go work for a smaller studio, or maybe eventually become freelance. And it's the same thing in the video world. Uh, there's a lot less big studio safety in uh, the film video world, uh, but you could go work for a production house or post production house. Um, and I have a lot of pet friends that are editors that go through that process where they're like, I cannot stand working for this giant post-production house because I'm here all hours of the night. And I'm like, yeah, but you get that, you get that fucking check coming every week. Right. And that's, well, that's the big thing. That's the, the big thing is, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like my, my family's from the Midwest. I don't know if I've had like ingrained in me, like your workhorse from the beginning. I don't know how I got there, but like kind of from day one, it was like, this is my job. I'm going to do my job. Like, um, but I know a lot of artists and I'm not talking shit about them because I secretly want to be them. And they come into, well, actually let's take the student. Cause I've met a lot more students like this. Usually guys that have a, a job in, in games, whether they're freelance or uh, in-house, they know how to know how to take direction. They know how to do what they have to do. Right. These students, a lot of them, like I've done a lot of portfolio review and they have this style and I say, well, you know, like anime is really popular in Japan and um, it's just, there's not a lot of jobs. Like I've maybe tried doing some realistic, um, you know, like anatomy studies and like, like, no, I, this is what I do. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, good luck to you. You know, it's like being able to hit the ground running, whatever you're doing, that's all they want. Like if, I mean, if you have a decent attitude and you're not a complete prick, like there's a lot of jobs in games and there's going to be more. And if you can, I've seen so many like um, interns at studios that have gone one direction, like out the door. And then now guys that are like, I'm looking at their stuff, just being like, holy shit, how did they do that in the past? You know, like five years, they're top dogs now. And uh, I think a lot of it has that they have the variety. They show that they can um, uh, get the job done. And that's all they, they all want to know. If they look at your portfolio, they see, oh, we can do environments, we can do architecture, you can he doesn't have just one thing, then I think as long as you bust your ass, you, you're, you're going to get it. Like, um, games are going nowhere, man. Like in, when you, our generation retires, like I'm so excited. I'm just going to be in a chair, like in VR, like gaming <laughs> my life away. Cause that's, that's the elderly of the future and it's right. going to be great. <laughs> Very cool, man. So we're, uh, let me look here. Okay. So we're clocking in at a decent time. Uh, is there, um, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about that we didn't sort of address? Was there anything that you want to talk about on the show? Um, and so your, your listeners are more like focused on like what it's like in games or. Um... I think it's a bit of everything. So the listeners of this show, hopefully we're going to be expanding, but they started as filmmakers. They started as photographers. They started as general artists. But uh, this will be the first episode that we sort of dive into the gaming world. Um, and. I think in general, folks that listen to this show are just looking for direction, are looking for uh, the real story behind how these industries work and how this stuff happens. 
Um, and so, you know, if you want to give some advice, you can give some advice, like whatever you feel. Dude. Well, yeah, I think, I think, um, a good thing to close on. Cause I think it was a big point in my life. And, um, I think it's pretty general, uh, advice. And I kind of wish I knew this earlier and we touched on it a little bit, but the stubbornness, I think when you're younger, you have that re- rebellion aspect and you don't want to hear people out. Um, I know a lot of people like that. I was like that. Um, but the best thing I feel like I started really improving is when I was able to take critique for real and not just go, um, not just taking critique from your boss who's giving you the job. Um, but when people say, Oh, that looks bad. Don't like, it doesn't, shouldn't sting your ego or, um, who you are like really go out of your way to find what people, uh, people's impressions of your work. And you don't have to take it always because maybe they like something you don't, but you got to be doing that a lot. And also you got to be really honest with yourself because the, the student thing, going back to that as well, like I feel like a lot of these guys and girls are, they're just, they're kind of this inflated ego of my shit doesn't stink and this is amazing. And the best thing they could do is kind of step back and for a second say, you know what, maybe I do need to work on my elbow anatomy or maybe I need to work on my posing, or my rhythm or whatever. And like, I think if you do that, then you should be improving, even if it is at a slow pace. Um, I know that helped me out a lot because um, it wasn't that I was like, um, thought I was a shit. It was more of like, I wasn't actually dissecting what I was doing myself. I thought things were happening accidentally. I drew something, oh, it looks bad, I'm sad. And then I realized like, okay, let's dissect what's going on here and also giving it to other people to get feedback. And uh, the guys that like make it to the top, that guy I was talking about, like this dude I know in five years, he's, I'm just shocked. I'm, it's, it's amazing. It's because he, he worked his ass off and he was critical of his own work, not to the point where he's not going to be able to sleep at night because he's so depressed. And he was getting other people's feedback and like just working on those things that aren't quite there. And then he just got there. Badass, man. Yeah, that's good advice, dude. That's really good advice. And I feel like with uh, with me when I was younger, you know, you're trying to process the insecurity, especially in film, because film, you can't really be a director until you're a director and to actually convince people to to let you be a director to find yourself in that scenario where you're working with a larger crew or you're, you're doing that stuff requires a lot of bullshitting. You know what I mean? Like mm, you actually yes, have yeah. to. You have to have this false confidence and you a lot of that is bullshitting yourself where you're just like you can't you can't be insecure. You can't come off as insecure because then no one's going to believe in and in, in what it is that you're doing. And I early on, I sort of translated that and it was borderline arrogance at that point because you're yeah. you're trying to process those things. And it took a little bit of time for me to understand, like, no, confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is understanding and listening and having the confidence to, to say, I don't know exactly mm. what this is, but I have, I have a really good grasp of what the tone and the vision of this is. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting thing. It's really good advice. It's good to hear that it's the same way in the game industry as it is in ours. And I would, I would say like for you, it's definitely more political. I mean, you're working more closely with people. I think for concept artists, your confidence can be shown through what you do. You don't need to be, and maybe there's a lot of awkward, there's a lot of awkward artists that are like socially not quite there. And dude, that's mm-hmm. like the majority of, of game studios. And um, those guys are like thriving, you know? So 
your confidence, as long as your confidence shows through like what your, your work does, um, there doesn't need to be any, um, uh, there's not a lot of pressure in the social aspect of, of being whatever it is where, uh, in film, I think you're working with so many people, you have to be a politician and artist at the same time. So you have to, you have a lot harder. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I learned a fuckload about uh, how the game industry works. Um, it was just fast. Like, I think the most interesting thing that I got out of it was that whole silhouette bit, which I never really thought about because being, you know, a passive uh, bystander, I'm always looking at character animations going, wouldn't it be cool if they, they just had a bit more stuff? You know what I mean? And you don't think about the issues with that. You don't think like, hey, if this is a fighting game, then whatever that area that for the hits are gets screwed up because people are are punching a part of a character uh, and not getting hit points. That's interesting. And then you're sort of dealing with the fabric stuff and how much it costs to do fabric stuff and fabric movements. And that's, fuck, that's fascinating. Um, I think it's wild. It's an interesting uh, world of art meets commerce and art meets tech. Uh, which is really kind of cool. And I think I'm going to do some more episodes on it. I think we should go down that rabbit hole and let me know. Tell me if you guys like this episode. Write to me on Instagram uh, at in love with the process POD, or you can contact me directly at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Let me know what you think. I mean, I'm going to get some access. I know Hunter's going to give me some names. We can go deep, deep, deep into the video game world. If you guys are into it, uh, I'm fascinated by it. Um, so uh, definitely let me know. And uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying our content. I'm continuing to expand. And I'm going to say it again. Share it around. If you guys think this is really cool and you have a bunch of video game nerd pals of yours, please just send them the link to this episode. Send them the link to the SoundCloud. Um, tweet about it. Tweet to video game people about it. Just put it out there. Put it out there so that uh, more folks will listen. We get more listeners to the show. Shit can get more exciting. I promise you. Um, but that's kind of it. I've got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, and I'll be honest with you. i recording this episode a few weeks before it happens. So maybe I'll tack something on here at the end if there's some new updates. But in the meantime, let's just end the episode now. I appreciate you listening. Love you guys. Um.